Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Job, Job chapter 21. Job chapter 21, we'll be reading two verses, verses 14 and verse 15. So follow in your Bibles as we read Job 21, verse 14 and 15. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the privilege to open your word, and we ask, Lord, that you might give us understanding of the topic today. And I pray that we might realize that there are many, many reasons why we should live for you and we should be counted as those who are godly. Lord, I pray that we not, might not shy away from that, but that we would be glad to be considered godly. So much different than this world is. Help us to be like you. So bless today, Lord, in this message. Give enablement to bring it, and I pray that you'd use it to speak to Christians' hearts. And then, Lord, that if there's one that's not here today, that's here today and not saved, I pray that you might help them to come to know Jesus as their Savior today. We commit this time to you. Bless we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most people today do not see any reasons why they should live godly lives. They believe in living the way that brings them the most enjoyment, and that's really most people. They live the way that, that will bring them the most enjoyment. What God has written in the Bible means nothing to them. They are not concerned about pleasing God. To live godly is to be a fanatic, and they surely are not interested in that. I looked up the word godliness in the Bible and consulted Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words, and it says this, Godliness is a piety characterized by a Godward attitude doing that which is well-pleasing to God. Last week, we talked about pleasing God this, this year, and I hope that we will do that, that we'll please Him. But really, godliness is pleasing the Lord. So to live godly means that you regard God in everything that you do. You desire to please Him. To not regard God is to be ungodly. Let that sink in, even to Christians. Not to regard God is to live ungodly. So you're not taking God in consideration of what you do, where you do go, or anything like that. You just don't consider God. Well, that's, that's living ungodly with no regard for God. In Job 21, Job is speaking about the wicked. That makes, makes, makes it clear in verse 7 when he says it's the wicked he's talking about. And the wicked say unto God, depart from us, for we desire not, to, not the knowledge of your ways. Doesn't that sound like today? They don't want to hear what God has to say. They don't care what the Bible says. They don't want to regard God in any ways. And then it says this, what is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto Him? In other words, why should we live godly? Well, the wicked will never be convinced with arguments, so we'll not make those arguments to the wicked today. 
They must first respond to the gospel and trust Jesus as their Savior, and then they will listen to God's arguments. But we as Christians should listen to God's arguments. We should listen to what God says about living a godly life. So let's consider some of the reasons or some of the incentives that we as Christians should have to live godly. The first one is this, because of the character of the sovereign. The sovereign means our sovereign God, because of his character. In 1 Peter 1, 15, it says this, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And then the next verse says, for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. We should be holy. We should live godly lives because of the character of our sovereign, and that is the Lord. The root idea of holy means set apart. God is set apart. He's entirely set apart from everyone. God is absolutely set apart from all that's imperfect and morally unclean. We find a picture of that in the book of Isaiah. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, God is holy. And when Isaiah had that vision of the Lord, and and the, the angelic creatures were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He felt so unclean. And he realized his uncleanness because of God's holiness. So why should we live godly? Because of the character of our sovereign. He is a a set-apart one. He's totally holy. He's set apart. I did a study of of the way holy is, the word holy is used in reference to God. And I found that God the Father is holy, John 17, 11. God the Son is holy, Acts 3, 14. God the Holy Spirit is holy, Acts chapter, or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. God's habitation in heaven is referred to as holy, Deuteronomy 26, 15. God's throne is holy, Psalm 47, verse 8. God's name is holy, Isaiah 57, verse 15. God's arm is, is holy, Psalm 98, verse 1. And God's promise is holy, Psalm 105, verse 42. And since we are ambassadors of God as Christians, and 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that, we are ambassadors of the Lord. If we represent God, is it too much for us to know, to understand that we should be holy because He is holy? And so He says He is holy. We represent Him so there should be some holiness and godliness in our life. We should live godly lives because of His character. Also, we should live godly lives. We should pursue godliness in our lives because of the command of the Scriptures. It's not just that God says He is holy and therefore you should be holy. He says, I command you to be holy. And so it's just not because we represent God 
and he's holy, but because he tells us to be holy. So if you don't live a holy life, then it's in rebellion against God, and it's in disobedience to him. If you decide to do something that's contrary to the will of God and you claim to be a Christian, then you are living an unholy life, and that is, that's against God and because God tells you to be holy. It says in 1 Peter 1, verse 16, we just read part of it. It says, be ye holy for I am holy. Be ye holy, a command of God. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 to 45, God was talking to his people Israel, and he said this, ye shall therefore be holy for I am holy. The scripture is our operational manual, operation manual, and we are to do what God tells us to do. And when you buy something new, a new appliance or something, there's always an operating man, manual with it, and you check to see how you're supposed to do things, what button you're supposed to push, and all of that. And we think nothing about following those instructions. God's given us an instruction book, and it's the Bible. And God tells us how we're to live. In fact, the Bible says in, in um, Second, I'm sorry, in uh, Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is our manual to tell us how to live. And the Bible, God's word, tells us be holy. And so we should live godly lives because of the command of the scripture. But then there's another reason that we should live godly lives. And that is because of the compassion of our Savior. The Bible makes an argument that we should live godly, a godly life, a holy life, because of what Jesus did for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we looked at it a while ago, but let's look at another verse in that, in 1 Peter chapter 1. And it says in verse 17, If ye call on the name of the, on the Father who without respect to persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. There's a place in the Bible where God calls it godly fear. To fear God is to be godly. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the Lord says we are to be holy, we are to live godly lives because of the compassion of the Savior. He shed his blood for us. He made the redemption price that was necessary. He, he paid for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He personally left heaven's glory, came to this earth so he might die for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, Ye are bought with a price. Ye are bought with a price. And so you belong to God. You've been purchased by God. The only reason you'll go to heaven is because of him. And you owe it to him because of his love and compassion to you to be holy, to live a godly life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that passage speaks about us being ambassadors. Before that, in verse 14 and 15, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ compels us. Uh, the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ gives us all the reasons we need to live holy for him. And we're to live a godly life because of what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. It's interesting, the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. 
It says, for the grace of God teacheth us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The, the grace of God teaches us to live godly. That means God's so good to us. God's done so much for us. Grace, we don't deserve it, but he did that for us. And because he did that, his grace teaches us to live a holy life, a godly life. 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. So God loves you so much, and that should be an incentive to you. The compassion of the Savior should make you want to live a godly life. You see, what Jesus did for us was he left heaven's glory. The scripture says, he who is rich became poor for you, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And so he left heaven's glory. That was a big deal. God the Son was, is God, and he existed, he lived for eternity in, in, in heaven. He never had a beginning, he never has an end. That's hard to understand, but it's true. But Jesus, the Son of God, lives in he- lived in heaven, and he was willing to do what the Father told him to do, and that is to leave heaven's glory, leave all of that glory of heaven, and come to this earth. How was he to come to this earth? He was to come in the form of a baby, first of all. And the very God, very God, God the Son, was to leave all that he had in heaven, give up the independent exercise of his attributes, and become a little baby, as we saw during Christmas. And that little baby didn't lay there in the, in the manger and look up and say, you all don't know who I am. <laughs> he didn't do that. He was a baby. And he experienced that. God the Son humbled himself and became a little baby. Then he grew up to be a little boy. And then a teenager. And then an adult. And then he, he gradually became aware of, of, of who he was, that he was the Son of God, as his mind began to develop. And we find him in the temple at 12 years old. So, so He knew so much about the scripture because he wrote it. And they were astonished at the, at the wisdom that he had. But he was humbling himself and becoming a man. Why did he do that? He did that so that he voluntarily could go to the cross and let them do everything that they did to him. Let them whip his back, put that crown of thorns on his head, nail him to a cross, and shed all of his blood. Let them make fun of him, all that. The sovereign God was, able, was willing to do that for us. That's how much he loved us. He died for us on the cross of Calvary. And for us as Christians who know him as our Savior, to say, I'm not going to live a godly life, that's, that's an awful thing to say to God who loves you so much that he died for you and me. Yes, we need to follow the Lord because he loved us. We should live a godly life because of the compassion of the Savior. But then there's another reason. We should live a godly life because of the companionship of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not just that God saved us, but God moved inside of us. The scripture teaches that plainly, that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. And so for you to deny, to reject 
godliness and not to regard God in your life is to say no to the one who lives inside of you, the one who's prompting you to do right, the one who's instructing you through his word, the one who convicts you when you do wrong, and you are, you're fighting against him. And because of the companionship of the Holy Spirit, that is a great reason why we should live a godly life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'd like you to turn with me there because it's a very important scripture, especially in this day with all the immorality that we see. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, flee fornication. We know what fornication is, sexual sin outside, uh, sexual sin and sex outside of marriage, that's fornication. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Here's the question. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What? Don't you know that your body is indwelt by the Spirit of God, that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost? He lives inside of you. And so one reason that we should live a godly life is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says it like this, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the, the desires, the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. And so if a Christian is saying, Well, I don't want to live a godly life. That's no fun to live a godly life. God says when you say that, you are are disagreeing with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. You're fighting against him because he says don't do that. He says don't commit that sin. Give yourself to me. Obey me. Do what I want you to do. That's what he's telling us. But when we say no to that, we're fighting against the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. A very good reason why we should live a godly life. But then there's another reason. Why should we live godly? Because of the consequences of sin. You see, see, sin is what displeases God. Godliness is what pleases God. And the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 15, the way of transgressors is hard. Sin is hard. It's hard on you. And because of the consequences of sin, we should desire desire to live godly lives. We should not be ashamed to be considered a godly person. We should not be ashamed that people know that we go to church on a regular basis. We should not be ashamed that people know when they see us out in the restaurant and we get a meal, then we bow our heads. We don't have to think twice about it. We, we let, it, let it be known that we're Christians and we thank the Lord for our food. To be a Christian, we should know that we should not be ashamed to take our stand against what is wrong. To tell people, no, that is wrong. And with all this confusion today about a morality, we should be ones who stand up and say, I know this is wrong. And I know that uh, all this transgenderism and homosexuality and abortion and all these things, that's wrong. And we should not be ashamed to say that. 
because we know about the consequences of sin. And so the Christian should be willing to live godly life because we know of the consequences of sin. Let me talk about the consequences for just a minute. First of all, there's consequences in this life. Galatians chapter 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Can a Christian commit sin? Sure they can. And every one of us prove that probably every day. We do something that displeases the Lord, and that's sin. But can a Christian do things that are really bad? And Yes, they can. But if they do, they need to remember this. What they sow, they're going to reap. What they sow, they're going to reap. I'm disturbed sometimes by what I see in some families where a child will dishonor their father and mother. And they'll, you know, won't speak to them for years and silly things like that. Does that mean a father and mother can't do things that are wrong and maybe that offended the child? No, sure they can. But for you to do that and to respond like that when the Lord says, honor your father and mother, and for you to talk about them, you know, it's, it's something, and I don't get into Facebook. Uh, I might check it once, twice a month. And how long do I read it? Probably five minutes at the most. I can't, I can't stand it. I don't want to know what everybody's doing in their life. That's not important to me. If I know somebody that's, you know, that's real close to me and I find out somebody tells me about it, they read it, that's Okay. I'm not opposed to you. I just don't enjoy that kind of thing. And surely I don't enjoy when somebody gets on and talks about their parents. I don't care what their parents have done. That's dishonoring. And what troubles me is those people don't understand that they are probably going to reap that someday from their own kids. What you sow, you will reap. And can you go as a Christian and go out and commit immorality? Sure you can, God will trouble you. You will not be happy in it. You'll be very disturbed. But can you do that? Yes, you can. But be sure your sin will find you out. The Bible says, what you sow, you will reap. And so the Lord says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So don't be surprised when you do an ungodly deed and later you reap the consequences. A troubled conscience, maybe a ruined health, ruined relationships, ruined testimony, all of those things go along with it, and you will not not escape that, that reaping. There's only one person who can change the reaping, and that's God. And God sometimes does that. God, sometimes when you humbly go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry, I sinned against you. Please forgive me of that sin. There are times when the Lord will forgive you of that sin. Well, I mean, always forgive you of the sin. But there are times when he'll even take away the consequence. Only he can do that. You can't. But he can. So don't sow the bad and you'll not reap the bad. And so because of the consequences of sin, we should determine we're going to live a godly life. But then there are consequences after we die. You see, every Christian, and I'm talking to Christians today, every Christian will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we're going to stand 
and we're going to be judged. And the Lord says the fire of the Lord will judge every work that we've done. Some people build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, gold, silver, and precious stone. Others build on it wood, hay, and stubble. In other words, in other words worthless things. They're not serious about their Christian life. And it's just wood, hay, and stubble. And the Lord says that'll all be burned up. And you'll suffer loss, but you'll yourself be saved, yet so as by fire, but you'll suffer loss. And you can imagine everybody or people standing at the judgment seat of Christ and Christians receiving their rewards and it comes to you and there's no reward or very few. And you know they could have been there, but you didn't trust the Lord. You didn't obey the Lord. You didn't live a godly life and you suffer the consequences because there's loss of reward. Will the Lord let us know what we could have had and what we don't have, I don't know. He says there will be loss. So probably in some ways, he will reveal to us what we lost. And what do we get when we obey the Lord and trust him and serve him as we should? We get crowns. And the Bible mentions several crowns. And the passage in Revelation says that the believers will take their crowns and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine how sad it must be for a person to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and see their friends and, and people who knew the Lord and maybe they even went to church with them, take the crowns that they have and lay them in adoration at the feet of Jesus. And you, because you desired to live an ungodly life, you didn't regard God. There weren't any crowns and you didn't have anything to lay at his feet. He loved you just as much as he loved them. He has provided you for you everything that they have provided for in a future in heaven and all of that. But you did not serve him and you don't have a crown to lay at his feet. If that doesn't bother you now, believe me, it will bother you to the judgment seat of Christ. So the consequences of sin is a reason that we should live a godly life. Then let me give you one more. Because of the coming of the Savior. 1 Peter chapter 1, we've looked at that passage different times already, but in verse 13 it says this, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming again. I know they've been saying that for years. When I remember when I was in seminary, I wanted to get out soon because I could get, it, get into the work of of serving the Lord as a pastor, and, and I wanted to get that, you know, I wanted to get started because I thought, you know, I might not have much time. It looked like the Lord could come at any minute. And there, now I've had close to 50 years, but that just means he's 50 years closer than he was back then. And the day today, the stage today seems more set than it was back then. Jesus could come at any time. And so, because of his coming, we should desire to be, be godly and live a godly life. When it comes, there's some things that are going to happen. When it comes, the first thing is we're going to be given a new body. Now that means if we're alive at the time when the rapture of the church takes place, Jesus comes back, we'll receive a brand new body. Because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those who are with Jesus and come back with him from heaven the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to get their resurrected body. They'll rise from the grave. And then we which are alive and remain at that time 
We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that we shall not all sleep, all not, not all die, we, but we shall all be changed. That means we'll be changed as well. And so the, the dead in Christ who are with the Lord come back with him. They're going to get their resurrected body, and then immediately after that, our bodies are going to be changed. So what happens when Jesus Christ comes back for us? We'll receive a brand new body we shall be changed. So you who are up in years a good bit, you'll be young. You who are little children, you'll be full-grown adults, around 30, equivalent of 33 like Jesus was when he rose from the grave. And you'll get a brand new body. You won't go into heaven as a little baby. You won't go into heaven as a little child. You'll go into heaven as, a, as an adult with a glorified body, absolutely perfect, no sin. And then you who are, are, um, you know, a younger age and you feel like you're uh, at at the top of your game and everything, the Lord says you'll be changed so that you will, comparing it, you'll say, wow, this is so much better than what I was because you'll have a brand new body. Never have a sinful thought, never do a sinful deed, and you'll not be limited in your power. I mean, you'll have a brand new body likened to the body of Jesus Christ. That's going to happen when he comes. And then the Bible says, I think according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, well, our body will be resurrected, or if we've died, or if we're alive, our body will be changed, and then we will meet the Lord in the air. I believe that we will see him. Now, maybe we won't see him before he resurrects our body. I don't know for sure. But this for sure I know, that after he resurrects our body, we will see him because we'll meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We shall stand, we shall, the Bible says that we'll, we'll meet him, and we'll be caught up together with those others, meet him in the air, and we will see Jesus Can you imagine how important it will be at that time if you've lived a godly life? You can imagine how important it is when you see Jesus that you won't feel totally ashamed. Let's say you're a Christian and you've just been doing some things you shouldn't do and and you know you shouldn't do it, but you say, I'll get it straightened out someday. I'll come to the Lord uh, and get it all taken care of and I'll really start living for Jesus someday. But that day never comes. And all of a sudden, the trumpet sounds, and there you are with the Lord. And you're caught up because you're a Christian, and you see the Lord. And when you see him, you'll know, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I was doing that. You will see the Lord. We will all see the Lord if we know Jesus. And then the Bible says we'll stand before him. We'll we'll receive a brand new body. We will see him, and then we'll stand before him. You won't have a choice about that. We'll stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14 says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, let's say you have been participating in some things this week that were not right and bringing dishonor to God. And let's say that you know that before you got here on Sunday, I just found out about it. I imagine you would say, I hope he doesn't bring it up. (laughs) I hope he doesn't talk to me about it. I hope he doesn't say anything. 
But listen, when you stand before Jesus, you'll be standing before the one who knows everything. He knows why you did it. He knows what you did. He knows everything. He knows all about you. He knows things that you've forgotten about. He knows it all, and you stand before him. Don't you think, don't you think that's a good reason to live godly right now? Because someday we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account. If you not, do not live godly as a Christian, it will be revealed before him, before God himself, as we stand there. And guess what? As we stand before him, we're going to be standing in a glorified body. Now, it'd be one thing to stand before him like we are right now, but stand before him in a glorified body. He did that for you. And you don't have any bad thoughts toward the Lord. You don't even have any excuses because you have a glorified body and a glorified mind. And you don't even have any evil thoughts at all. You are there with a glorified body and yet you stand before the one that you displeased. It will be a humbling experience. We'll stand before him in a glorified body which we do not deserve. We'll stand before him in our new home which is in heaven. Heaven, where there's gates of, where there's walls of jasper and gates of pearl and golden streets and all of that, and the beauty of heaven, we'll be standing there because we're redeemed by the Lord, and yet we didn't live for Him like we should, and we'll be standing there in our brand new home that we did not deserve. And then we'll be standing there, not only in our new new home that we did not deserve, but we'll be standing there at the beginning of eternity which is guaranteed to us, and we know that we will never die. We know that we'll never sin. We know that we'll never be apart from God. We know that we have ahead of us the time when he comes and rules and reigns on this earth, and we reign with him. We know that we have ahead of us that brand new heaven and brand new earth and that new Jerusalem that's coming down from there, and we know that we're going to dwell with him forever and ever and ever, and we don't deserve it. And that time in our life, that we had, where we could live for him. We could live by faith. We could say no to sin, and we could live a godly life. That's all behind us. We'll never have that opportunity again, and we stand there before the Lord who's provided everything for us. I believe we'll be ashamed. I believe we'll be ashamed as we stand before the Savior who loved us so. And surely those are good reasons why we should live a godly life. Let me go over them with you because of the character of the Savior. He's holy. We're his ambassadors. We should be holy. Because of the command of the Scripture, he said, Be ye holy. Be ye holy. Do not sin. He told us that. Because of the compassion of the Savior, he died for us. He paid the price for us on the cross of Calvary. And we don't deserve it, but he died for us. We should love him, and our love should be expressed by obedience to him in a godly life. Another reason is because of the companionship of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. He wants to help us live for him. He'll enable us to live for him. He'll enable us to say no to sin. We have all the help we could want. He's living inside of us. We should desire to live a godly life. But then there's also because of the the consequences of sin. If we choose not to live a godly life, there are going to be consequences. 
And that should cause us to choose godliness. And then because of the coming of the Savior. But this morning I understand that there might be some here today who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior. If you do not believe in Christ and accept him as your Savior, let me tell you something that you probably hadn't thought about. You are ungodly. Sometimes we reserve that term for people who do these really bad sins. They're ungodly. But if you do not regard God, if you do not take Him into consideration in your life, you know, you do whatever you want to do, whatever pleases you, never think about pleasing God, and you know that Jesus died for you, but you don't want Him as your Savior right now because you know that if you accept Him as your Savior, you have to live for Him, and uh, He'll expect that of you, and you're not quite ready for that yet. You still have some wild oats to sow or whatever it might be, and you're not quite ready for that, and you reject the Lord. The Bible would say you're ungodly. You're ungodly. You don't want God to have anything to do with your life. And you know what it says about the ungodly? In Psalm 1, it says, The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. The ungodly shall not stand. You won't stand before God and argue your case and say, but God, I don't deserve hell. I mean, look what all the good things I did. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment. And that same passage says this, the ungodly shall perish. They'll perish. Reminds me of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. In other words, whosoever does not believe in him will perish. Why? Because you're ungodly. It says that he came not of the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if you're condemned already, that means God considers you ungodly, God considers you unholy, God considers you a person who does not, is not going to receive his grace to be in heaven with him. You are condemned and what happens to condemned people? They will perish. But there's good news. God says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, and I'll close the message with this. It says, Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> Isn't that great? Christ died for the ungodly. He wants to be your Savior, and he will be. If you'll believe the gospel that he died for your sins on the cross of Calvary, that he, that he paid for it all, and that he rose again the third day from the, from the grave, and he wants to be your Savior, he's ready and willing to save you if you'll accept him. You come to him and repent of, of the fact that you are a sinner, and you know that he died for you, and you want him to be your Savior, and you call out to him. The Lord says he will save the ungodly, and then you'll have the privilege to live a godly life for him. 2023 is ahead of us, most of it. We've experienced some of it already, but most of it's ahead of us. May God help us as his people to be godly this year. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for enabling us to see the importance of godliness. Lord, I know that you want us to be different. You want us to be servants of Jesus. You want us to be obedient. You want us to be godly. 
I pray that we might desire to be that this year. And that we'll do what is necessary, Lord, when it comes to temptations. That we'll say no to sin and yes to God. Now, Lord, if there's somebody here that's not saved, I pray that they might realize that before you right now, they are ungodly. And I pray that they would realize and believe that Jesus died for the ungodly and that you will save them if they come to you. Have your will in the invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.